You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. All right. The holidays are over, which is good for me because I'm in the sex biz, sort of. Not technically a sex worker, more a sex consultant. And there's nothing unsexier than the holidays. Well, the holidays we understand when we say the holidays. Christmas, New Year's even, uh, Hanukkah, certainly, Kwanzaa. Who gets a heart on during Kwanzaa? Nobody. If you want any proof that the holidays are the least sexy time of the year, all you have to look at is anybody who attempts to mix erotics and the holidays. I know it's after Christmas, but I want to direct your attention to the world's most appalling website. It's not safe for work. It's not safe for your eyes. It's not safe for the children. MaryXmas.tumblr.com. That's M-E-R-R-Y-X-X-X-M-A-S dot T-U-M-B-L-R dot com. You must go. What it is mostly is dirty photos, gay photos. It's mostly men, presumably gay, posing in Santa hats and nothing else in front of their Christmas trees, sort of their manhunt, dudes nude, recon photos for the holidays. And you look at these pictures of guys, some of them bent over their ass toward the camera, whole facing forward with the Christmas tree behind them and think, what possessed them? What makes somebody think this is sexy? Just don't – they don't mix. Dirty naked butthole and – well, clean naked butthole but dirty, you know, figuratively dirty, not literally dirty. Butthole and Christmas trees just don't go together and we should try to unmix them. And now, now, now the unsexy holidays are behind us and we can look forward to the scorching hot sex holidays that are Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day. President's Day, Arbor Day, Flag Day, they're all coming up. And uh, we'll try to sex those holidays up for you in a way that we just couldn't sex up the Christmas season. And I, you know, I don't mean to belabor the point. I don't mean to pick on this person in particular, but you really do have to go to maryxmas.tumblr.com and scroll down a little bit and find the picture of the guy who's bent over forwards in front of his Christmas tree with his asshole pointing toward the camera and one of those giant red bows on top of his ass, like those bows you see on cars and car commercials on top of his ass, like Merry Christmas. I got you my asshole. I don't think that's an appropriate gift. I really don't think your asshole is an appropriate gift at Christmas time. I think, well, clearly this is somebody who's, who'll give his asshole away any time of the year. Really? This isn't especially an especially thoughtful gift. And this isn't something I I think that, you know, he had to save up for, I think. And it's something he's going to have to take back. He can't keep his asshole, right? But we can share the memories. We can we can hold on to the memories because he, this person was thoughtful enough to put this picture up on the internet. Okay. I just had to get that out of my system. Here we go. Your questions for the new year. Let's get to it. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage today for details. My boyfriend and I have been together for four years, living together for like two years, and um, love each other to death. Um, 
you know, have great, fun, awesome, orgasmic sex. And um, recently, in the past year, um, in our sleep, he will, uh, you know, some people sleepwalk, and you're not supposed to wake up people that sleepwalk, right? Well, he doesn't sleepwalk. He will take his clothes off and take my clothes off and start messing around and get in there and 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 all sort of, you know, wake up and I'm like, oh, sweet, we're going to do it. It's like the middle of the night, and then he's actually totally asleep and doesn't know he's doing it. Um, it's happened, I want to say, like a half dozen times in the last year, and um, last night was particularly uh, <laughs> weird because he just was started spanking me in his sleep. And it was confusing and weird and I was horny, but then, you know, couldn't because he was asleep. And I was anyway, so I'm giving you a call back because I don't know what to do. Uh, is your boyfriend asleep right now? <laughs> no. Is he sitting there with you? No, he's not. He's at work. I'm at home. Okay, good. So does this bother you, the sleep fucking? It's weird because, like, I, if I'm, like, being woken up because, like, you know, we, we're going to get it on, and then it doesn't happen, I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. But it's just weird that he doesn't remember, and he's totally, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to explain it. He, uh, he doesn't, he just doesn't remember the next day, and then he's shocked when I tell him. He's like, oh, my God, I'm such an asshole. I'm like, well, you're only an asshole because we didn't have sex after. So when he initiates sex in his sleep and then stops and has, you know, woke you up, why don't you wake him up and demand that he continue? I, well, I haven't tried it only because I've heard you're not supposed to wake people up when they're, like, sleepwalking or doing... That's a myth. That's a myth. You can it's a myth? Okay. So... You, can, you, you are especially within your rights to wake someone up who is sleep spanking you. Yeah. You can taser someone who's sleep spanking you, actually. <laughs> Okay, all right, so I guess, um, but it's just, have you, have you heard of this before? Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah, people, there are some people who sleep walk, there are people who sleep drive. Does he take Ambien or anything like that? No, he doesn't. We, I mean, the only thing that he might occasionally take is once in a while valerian root tea in the evenings, or we'll smoke a joint, but I mean, there's nothing, yeah. you know, we don't take drugs I have or a good pills. friend who suffers from a similar, um affliction, who wakes up and rocks around the house in the middle of the night. I actually shared a hotel room with him once, a straight guy, and he grabbed me by the throat in the middle of the night and pulled me out of bed. Oh, my God. So I've been there. And you know what? I woke him up. And you should wake him up, particularly if he's sleeping you. And, you know, this exists, and there's not much he can do about it. There's no real cure for this kind of of middle-of-the-night sleepwalking behavior. You can only accept it and roll with it and mm-hmm. learn to tolerate it, and I think at those times when he initiates sex, learn to enjoy it and wake his ass up and insist that uh, now that he's, you know, even if asleep, even without intent, woke you up, he's going to follow through and give you the orgasm that he led you to believe was in the offing. Good. Okay, I'll totally wake him up, and I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> enjoy the spanking. Okay. Hi, Dan. I was wondering why, biologically speaking, men and women tend to be less attracted to genitalia, like penises and vaginas, and tend to be more attracted to other body parts, like uh, breasts or sacs or things like that, and why uh, biologically that makes any sense, because I guess, uh, genetically speaking, we need uh, our genitalia to reproduce. Thanks so much. Love the show. First off, genitals are small and butts are big. So if you want to get noticed, you don't want uh, – you need something besides your genitals to rest on to, to, 
attract someone's eye. Also, all the secondary sex characteristics are markers of health. Um, you got big tits, which means you make a lot of milk, which means your babies won't starve. You've got nice red lips, boy or girl. It means you have good circulation. It means you're healthy. Uh, you know, you've got good glowing skin and shiny hair. It means that with those genitals that are a huge part of it, but are just part of it, you will be able to reproduce healthy babies. You know, somebody with the most beautiful genitals in the world but is otherwise completely decrepit and falling apart and all their secondary sex characteristics are gray and withered or, you know, not in an age sense, just like, you know, falling apart. That person doesn't look like a good genetic bet. That doesn't look like somebody that if you uh, share your eggs with or share your seed with necessarily is going to produce healthy offspring. All those secondary sex characteristics are really markers of health, and they attract us for those reasons. Hi, Dan. My name is Katie, and I'm a 19-year-old female. And my question is that um, some of my friends and I have noticed that um, some of our guy friends tend to constantly be readjusting themselves. Um, and we've noticed that the guys that do it also tend to be wearing whitey tighties. And we were wondering if there was a correlation between this and if we could, is there a way that we can respectfully let them know that their habit is really distracting and we would really like them to stop because, like I said, they are constantly doing it. So if you have any suggestions, that would be really great because it is really a big problem because they're constantly, constantly, like, playing with their dick and it's annoying. <laughs> I'd like to know why you're staring at these boys' crotches. Why aren't you respecting their privacy and their right to adjust? You know... Our dicks hang outside our bodies and sometimes just in the course of regular movement through the day, the, your dick, your genitals, your junk, your, your scrotum works itself into an uncomfortable position and only a shove, only a grab and a tug can work it out of that uncomfortable position. I'm a big proponent of uh, dudes adjusting unselfconsciously and proudly when they need to, not clutching their junk all the time. But guys should be able to tug and adjust as unashamedly as women adjust their bra straps. Hello? You got your big boobs or your small boobs and you're wearing that bra and sometimes your boobs they hang outside your body, you know, work themselves in an uncomfortable position, a little a little fold of skin tucks under, it doesn't feel good. And women will just like lift a bra strap, adjust a cup, and nobody goes, oh my God, it doesn't hurt. Secondary sex characteristic, genital. Because they have a right to because that's uncomfortable. No one should have to sit there with a bra strap or you know the edge of a cup digging into her tit for six hours because seeing her touch it might freak everybody out. Well, God, you know, your, your fucking nutsack is kind of like a, a tit, a deflated tit with a couple of almonds in it, kind of like a tit, right? And it can get folded up in an uncomfortable position. Your underwear can cut over it and that doesn't feel good. And those dudes have a right to tug and adjust. And if you can't deal with it, Go to an all-girls school. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like the Savage Lovecast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. They have 2012 Is It the End of the World available for downloading at audible.com. For at least the next couple of years, you might not want to put it off. You might want to get your free audiobook downloaded today because the world might end if you procrastinate too long. Again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for your free audiobook download today. Hi, Dan. I'm a 20-year-old gay guy living in northwest Arkansas. It's desolate here. I've never had a boyfriend despite being out and searching since I was 14. Um, I came to college here. 
and I've even been the president of the GOPT organization here. It's still nothing. I've gone to the gay bar here and the drag show, but the guys are at least a decade older than me. I have no idea what to do. I'm, I make my own money, but my, my father, the accountant, watches every penny. So no internet dating websites. And a lot of the scarce gay scene here is really another hardcore drug like mess. Uh, my geography teacher uh, says I should read the sign and get as much to Germany when I still can. But um, for several reasons, I can't move, and I'm at wit's end. I don't know. After so many years, and not one look from a gay guy my age in my direction, it's gotten me thinking something's horribly wrong with me, and I'm the only one who doesn't know. You know that there are free internet personal sites out there, like Dudes Nude, Manhunt, Recon, that you don't have to buy. I mean, just like it, it seems like you feel helpless, or you're convincing yourself that there's no hope and then wanting to complain about how helpless and hopeless you are. Yeah, I, I was in a kind of bad spot. Uh, oddly enough, though, I, I came home uh, after the winter break, and the first weekend I came home, uh, my uh, sister invited me out to a party, and uh, I met this really nice guy. Um, <laughs> I, I did you not, the, not only does he model, he's 22, I'm 21, he bartends, and he also does a lot of charity work. Which I, I think charity work is one of the most attractive things out there. <laughs> yeah, be careful about those uh, bartending models. They have a reputation in the wider gay community. Uh, not that you can't find love with a bartending model, but you know they they tend to get a lot of offers, and sometimes some of them have a hard time resisting temptation. But you still need to move, and, and you know I did sense get a sense of sort of twenty year old self dramatizing self pity in your call. Um, yeah. A few people at 20, particularly if they're gay or live in a small town, have met the love of their lives or even had a string of you know, satisfying uh, but yet unsuccessful relationships under their belts yet. Why do you have college where you go and why can't you move? Uh, uh, well, two reasons. The first is, is that I actually have a disability uh, which requires a special medication. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it went away more with the medication, but I used to not be able to walk even. Now, now I can actually work out and run, and so I've kind of got my self-esteem up there. And the second reason is, is my dad literally would not let me go. Uh, he, 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 said he would not uh, help me at all if I went out of state. So that was just kind of his, his requirement. And he, the only reason he did it is because he's very, uh, he wants to be close to the family. He's very that kind of territorial, I guess. Yeah, I mean, my parents are very controlling. My dad was an accountant, one of the top 100, and so he just got that sense of controlling with very little okay, control. Well, you're going to have to get out from under them sooner or later because you can't, yeah. uh, you know, it's just a fact of gay life that the more bible belty, rural or small the state or the city that you live in, the, the really uh, ridiculously lower the, your options are. There's just not that many gay people uh, yeah. in existence, and then we tend to clump up. You know, if you grew up in a town of 500 people and you are the gay 18-year-old, you are probably the only gay person close to your age in a town that size. You're going to have to move to a bigger city. Uh, so you have some options when it comes to romance and dating and friends and a social life. So eventually you're going to have to make a break with your controlling parents and get out from under them. Just logistically, that's what you must do if you want to have any sort of satisfying social life. You know, I'm, I'm glad you met this 22-year-old bartender. Date him, fuck him, have a good time. Don't have any illusions about the first guy you meet who's close to your own age is the guy you're going to be with for the rest of your life. Yeah, of course. You're still going to have to eventually make a break. 
mm-hmm. and take your geography teacher's advice and get the fuck out of Dodge. You're absolutely right. And at the very least, this is good practice for me. Exactly. <laughs> it is good practice because there's lots of bartending models out there with your name on them. All right? I really appreciate this. You're welcome. Good luck, man. I'm a 30-year-old straight male, um, Washington State. I've been overweight for most of my life and pretty disgusted with my appearance. I've never really been able to view myself as a viable mate, even when I'm in a relationship, and I've never been able to take the initiative in forming relationships or pursuing the women I find interesting. Um, It's always been the woman that makes the first move. Uh, My insecurity regarding my appearance has always kind of made me a lame boyfriend to him, too, Uh, and lover and pretty useless when it comes to flirting, you know, pretty clueless. Um, I really I'm, I really need this to change, so I've been working, you know, really hard at losing the weight. And I have my fatness on the run, actually. In a year's time, I expect to be down to my goal weight. However, I'm alarmed because I'm not losing the insecurity at the same rate that I'm losing the weight. Um, I've had about 20 years of practice seeing myself as a fat bag of crap, and I'm not sure what it's going to take to shake this habit. Um, I know I won't be able to take control of my love life until I get rid of this bullshit toxic insecurity and replace it with some proper confidence, but I can't even imagine what that's going to be like or if I can even get there. Um, In the meantime, I feel absolutely trapped. I've been lucky enough to get to know and uh, hang around with a lot of really amazing women, but Dan, I'm the goddamn mayor of the friend zone, and I know there's worse problems to have than a surplus of friends, but Jesus Christ... My youth is rushing by, and we're coming up on a year since anyone has touched me. And while it's nice to have friends, I lay down alone every night and wake up alone every morning. And no matter how good I get at feigning gregariousness, at root, I'm goddamn miserable. And I'm not sure how much longer I can take being this goddamn lonely. Um, I'm determined to lose the rest of the weight for no other reason than my health. Um, I know that fixing my love life is going to take more than getting in shape, obviously, but... I'm not sure exactly what that more is going to mean. Do you have any ideas? Uh, what should I do? I hear your pain. I feel your pain. I was overweight uh, in grade school myself, and those are scars that really never go away when it comes to self-image and insecurity around uh, your body and sex partners. The only advice I can give you about up in your game once you and you know in confidence is that you have to fake it everybody's really an insecure bag of slop inside the people you perceive as confident have gotten to a point where they can gloss over their insecurities and bluff their way through social situations they're still going to pick them apart after they're over they're still full of worries as they're unfolding you know as they're at that party with a drink in their hand looking so confident to you from the outside you don't know what's going on on the inside of that person so don't assume that everybody else out there has it easy and everybody else is just you know moving through the world, banging people, picking people up and having relationships uh, without any stress or angst. Everybody is filled with the same sorts of stress and angst. But you got to fake it. You got to approach women you're attracted to and you have to ask them out on explicit dates. If you're sick of getting stuck in the friend zone or being mayor of the friend zone, don't be friends with women you want to fuck. Don't allow yourself to be exploited like that. Have friends, have people that you are, you know, uh, have a genuine friendship attraction to. And generally, our friends are people that we don't want to fuck. Those relationships aren't complicated uh, by ulterior motives around sex or desire or thwarted desire or resentments around rejection. 
our friendship relationship should be uh, erotic, free fire, free zones, right? So you know, if it if it pains you to be around these women who've rejected you, don't hang around these fucking women who've rejected you. Now, look around. Go to a Walmart for the day and just walk around and see all the very people of all sorts of different shapes and sizes. I'm sending you to Walmart because the odds you'll see people. Of extra large sizes are greater who are partnered, who have lovers, who have relationships. Being a big guy does not preclude you from love and romance. Being an insecure guy who's projecting his fears onto the world, that may complicate, not prevent you from ever having uh, love or romance in life, but it may complicate it. Now, you're only 30, which you don't want to hear me say that that's young. I didn't meet the guy I'm with, uh, you know, my life partner until I was 30. Uh, you haven't failed at love and romance just because you haven't settled down by age 30 or met somebody by age 30. You need to take the frustration you feel and the and the energy that that's creating. It's really creating a lot of energy. You can hear it in your voice. You can hear how tense and you are and upset you are, and plow that into your workout regimen. Yes, into your you know your diet, into losing the weight. But you also need to remind yourself every step of the way that that's not. Magic. Like you're not going to get down to your ideal weight and then, you know, the world's going to split open and all these women are going to tumble into your bed. You got to get down, you know, build your confidence. And as you move towards this idea of your ideal weight, hit on people. Ask people out. You say, you know, you have a hard time approaching women you find interesting. I hope you're approaching women who are real women. I hope the women you find interesting when you use that phrase aren't all sort of unobtainable supermodel porn babe types who are not very thick on the ground and are in much demand. I hope your attitude and, and you know, the, the women you're attracted to, there's some realism there that real women like you come in all sorts of – like men come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and that you have to find the beauty in not just you know ideals of female beauty but you have to find the beauty in the women who are available to you who are present in your life who may be attracted to you in your current form and in you know the fine form you're on your way toward ask women out keep hitting the gym keep doing what you're doing to get down to your ideal weight for your own sake for the sake of your health and ask women out and just stop fucking hanging out with women who want to chuck you into the friend zone when you've made it clear that you want to date them and fuck them. Don't be their friends. Uh, don't pour salt in your own wounds like that. And ask women out who you may not you – know, they may not be the woman, your ideal woman. Just to get into the practice, ask women out that you're kind of attracted to, that you think there might be something there. Ask women out who also, like you, may be struggling with body image issues or uh, you know, struggling with their weight or uh, presuming that the world can't love them because they also, like you, are not perfect. Approach some of them and you may be surprised at uh, the response you get. Hi, Dan. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm 27 straight. And I've been uh, with my uh, girlfriend for the past four years. Uh, in many ways, she's really great. Um, I love her a lot. And um, we are a really good fit. And the only problem is, is that our sex life is pretty boring. Uh, we have sex every once in a while. It seems that, um, few and far between. We've talked about it. And, um, and it's uh, one thing that seems to be a problem is that she has some somewhat significant body image issues which are getting in the way. She's currently in therapy, um, and things seem to be getting better, but slowly. Um, right now, uh, I'm willing to hold out for a little bit longer to see if things get better, 
Um, but she's um, feeling uh, pressure to get engaged. She, um, particularly because I'm moving uh, for a job in May, and right now the plans are for her to move with me, uh, and she's worried about moving without further commitment. Uh, so, uh, so right now we're kind of at an impasse uh, as to whether to get engaged um, or not before I move and before she moves with me. Um, other than our sex life, things are good. I definitely would consider uh, getting engaged um, to her if our sex life was a little bit better and if her body image um, issues were a little bit under control. So my question for you is, do I propose to her before uh, our sex life gets better um, in the hopes that things keep on improving as they are, sort of slowly, um, or do I wait until I'm a lot more satisfied with our sex life uh, before um, I consider getting engaged? I hate your call. I hate your question because it puts me in a really rough spot. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the bylaws of the Amalgamated Advice Columnist Union require me to inform you that a lousy sex life is typically not improved uh, by a marriage ceremony. Uh, uh-huh. That, however, things are now, they tend, you know, not to skyrocket mm-hmm. after the wedding. Um, that said, however, you know, the fact that your girlfriend regards. Uh, this is a problem that she's working on, that she's in therapy, that you're seeing some improvement, if it is indeed her body image issues that are the block. Uh, that's a positive sign. And so you might, mm-hmm. you know, if you really love her and you're perfect together, you might not want to walk away from her right now. That said, your indifference is a really bad sign, that you, you, you know, you've framed your question in such a way that it makes it clear that you could take her or leave her. Makes me think that, and again, one of the bylaws of the Amalgamated Union of Advice Professionals everywhere it requires me to inform you, that your indifference is a really bad sign. Uh, that that might be a sign that you should end it, because if you look at somebody and go, well, I guess I could be with that person the rest of my life, or not, and you don't seem to particularly give a shit one way or the other, that's usually uh, a, a sign that you shouldn't marry a person. Well, it's, it, and it's not so much, I don't know if it's, if it's indifferent so much as just, um, I feel it's, I feel very ambivalent just because there's so many ways that we're great together, um, and so, but then it's just one, this, you know, this one thing, and it's hard to, you know, it's hard for me to, I think, justify in some ways that, you know, just because, you know, uh, you know, she's doing sort of everything that, you know, that she should be doing in regards to it, and we're doing what we should be doing, you know, to really, to pull the plug, but I think what's, uh, what's tough about it is just that there's really this artificial deadline, it seems like, of... Not, a, not only an artificial moving. deadline, but sort of mutual blackmail. You're telling her that you're not going to marry her if the sex life doesn't improve, and she's telling you that she's not going to move with you if you don't marry her. So it really feels like you're both kind of calling the question right now, and neither of you is satisfied in this relationship. Mm-hmm. She's very dissatisfied by your unwillingness to commit, and you're dissatisfied by the frequency of the sex that you're having. And that probably won't improve post-wedding ceremony. It could also be just like a, a it could just be a libido issue that she's a uh, you know a less robust libido than you do, and that's uh-huh. also something that a ring doesn't fix. Yeah. And if you're going to marry her, if you love her, you know, and she has a, a libido that's far below yours, you need to accept that. That's mm-hmm. kind of the price of admission to be with her. Uh, it's hard to ramp up someone's libido artificially. Mm-hmm. There's nothing less sexy than a gun to the back of your head. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, and we've talked a lot about it. And she says um, she uh, that she she kind of feels like she's sort of coming into her own. I think a little bit in term in terms of her sexuality, and it's just taking her a long time. Well, how um, old is she, roughly? Uh, she's about um, twenty-seven. Okay, well, that's you. That's often when a woman hits her sexual peak. So yeah, and you've been with her for you know almost five years. So mm-hmm. you know, it's, that could possibly be happening. She could be ramping up right now. You could be you know getting off that ride right before it takes off, or not. Mm-hmm. And there's only you know because of this artificial deadline, there's only one way to find out, which is to marry her. Which makes the whole marriage idea sound provisional and speculative. I mean, maybe she'd agree to a long engagement of two to four years to see if you are sexually compatible. But that, you know, six, eight years is a long time to invest in a relationship that you're not certain about. Yeah, and that seems and it and it seems unfair to to have you know the speculative engagement of just you know well we'll get engaged you know it seems like that that would just be placating her. Maybe there's a um, way to just address this differently. You're unhappy with the amount of sex you're having. Are you unhappy with the kind of sex you're having with the repertoire? Yeah, I mean it's it's um it's it's you know I'm not uh, it's not it's pretty vanilla and um and you and have more. Diverse interests. There's crazier shit you'd like to be doing. Yeah, I mean, not. I mean, not in terms of you know, sort of the scope of things, not you know, not super crazy, but crazier. No goats. No, no goats. No, no goats. But you want some variety, uh, even in a monogamous relationship. Yeah. You gotta hash that shit out, you know, and sometimes hashing that shit out destroys a relationship, which mm-hmm. needs to be destroyed because it mm-hmm. points to incompatibility. And sexual incompatibility is a big deal. You'll be told by the culture, you'll be told by your friends, your family, that you shouldn't walk away from a great relationship because the sex is unsatisfying. And also told that you're not allowed to have sex or get sex anywhere else, right. which is batshit crazy and makes people miserable and unhappy. You have a right to a reasonably fulfilling sex life, uh, particularly if you're going to make a monogamous commitment. You have a right to expect one and you have an obligation to create one for her mm-hmm. and, and, and she for you. And I say reasonably fulfilling, which means you're not going to get everything you want, she's not going to get everything she wants, but you need to come to some sort of compromise uh, that's mutually acceptable, mutually delightful, where you're both getting a lot of what you do want and you, you carve out a sexual repertoire that pleases you both. If you can't do that, you shouldn't get married. And if you haven't been able to do that in four years, I don't see how an engagement necessarily will make that happen. With the caveat that perhaps it is about to happen with her therapy, with her sexual peak kicking in, or maybe she's just telling you those things because that's what you need to hear to get to engagement and then she will not come through. Mm-hmm. There's only one way to find out, and that's marry her, and that seem, and that, that to me seems like a speculative bet gamble of a marriage, and I don't think people should marry for those reasons. Yeah, no, it seems... Yeah. I think marriage um, should be a confirmation of a certainty that you want to be with this person. I don't think marriage should be, you know, red on 35 and a roulette wheel. Right, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that um, something that I've been thinking a lot about is just that... Um, you know, in order to in order to get engaged, um, to, you know, I I need to be satisfied with the way things are, sort of right, you know, you know, at that moment because, um, you know, as and just and because you're otherwise it would be a speculative 
engagement or marriage. Listen to how ambivalent you are. Well, I, hate, I mean, I hate being put in this position. Everyone always says, like, one of the criticisms I get all the time is, I'm always telling people to break up. I'm always, I'm not helping people get to, yes, I'm not, you know, fixing relationships to keep them together to make them work. And so, you know, maybe you can make this work. Maybe she's going to ramp it up. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe if she agrees to, agrees to like, a two-year engagement, which I hate to say is going to sound in the presentation like a... What do they call that at work when you're hired, but you're uh, probationary period? And I I don't see how an engagement is going to be particularly joyful for anybody if it feels like a probationary period. Yeah. But you know, if you love her, and there's so many other good things about it, and you can you know, and how much does she love you, and what sort of accommodations are she willing to make? Is she willing to make if you're unhappy? You know, if you Mm -hmm. just stay together and she, you know, her libido craters, which is a possibility, or, you know, her sexual peak doesn't kick in and there is no improvement and there is no more sort of items added to the repertoire, are you allowed to step out to to seek elsewhere to to create a sexually fulfilling life for yourself that doesn't exclusively involve her or not? Those are the sorts of questions you need to ask her. Yeah. And I can't see how that conversation... Uh, winds up anywhere other than what I've already told you to do, which is not very. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that's uh, that's all right. I mean, thanks for you know putting it in those uh, stark of terms. I think that's you know it's always helpful. Good luck. <laughs> all right, it's thanks. a really tough decision, you know. And I'm not. Yeah. I don't want to be cavalier about telling you to throw away four years of somebody that you say you really love because th- yeah. that's also rare to find. Mm-hmm. But you need to not you know, set off a ticking time bomb in the heart of your marriage that will explode 10, 20 years down the road because you've been so, you'll become so resentful and angry about the choice you made if it was a bet and you lost. Right, right. Well, thanks for thanks for reaffirming that. I've been thinking that, but it's good to hear that from someone else, too. Okay, good luck. Hi, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old gay guy who just moved to Seattle completely alone. Um, Shortly after moving here, a few months ago, the doctors diagnosed me with um, ALS, uh, myotrophic lateral sclerosis, a.k.a. uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, a.k.a. Tuesdays with Maury. Um, And if you do some research, you'll find that it's always fatal uh, in a pretty terrible, terrifying way. The disorder begins removing the ability to use the muscles in your arms and legs, and then it moves up to your throat. You lose the ability to speak, and then you lose the ability to breathe, and then you pass. Um, There are no treatments. It's always fatal, and it happens relatively quick. The majority of those diagnosed die within 24 months after diagnosis. Um, And the only treatment available adds a debatable, questionable three months of life. Um, prior to a respirator. So my question is, how do I go about getting into a relationship? I just got out of one um, and am now kind of in need of one in a possibly unhealthy way. Uh, should I resign myself to the fact that I'm I'm the sort of sordid, those, that a relationship is one of those sordid things you do at the end of your life that, or that you don't do at the end of your life? Like, I'm not into casual hookups. It's not, 
I'm not into just getting some action. I'm into relationships and settling down. However, do I find someone to settle down with? Knowing that, hypothetically speaking, I could be in a wheelchair in six months, lose the ability to use my arm in four, and then lose my ability to speak in another four. At what point, at that point, I would enter, you know, the hospital within the next month or so. Is it right for me to go out into the scene and and find someone who's like that or, who you know, find someone and see and kind of put them in that, in, in that situation? Because I think that's a really hard thing for them to do. Or should I just kind of accept the fact that I may not have someone and I will have family and friends. I'm not going to be alone, but there's something different about about a relationship. You don't have much time. So I would encourage you not to waste too much of the time that you have overthinking this. You need to get out there and enjoy the time that you have left. Uh, and you need to date if you want to date. You need to hook up if you want to hook up. And it's not about whether it's right for you to go out into the scene and potentially put someone in the situation of being your partner. You can't put anyone in that situation. Only they themselves, somebody that you wind up dating in the next few months, can put themselves in that situation. Yeah, it would be a heavy trip to to begin to date someone and then be informed that they have ALS because it would make you feel – like a cat or an asshole if you decided that because of the ALS or some other reason that this wasn't – you weren't the right person and it would make it hard for them to walk away from you. But that's not your worry and it's not your responsibility and you sound like a thoughtful, introspective guy and I'm sure you'll be able to project yourself into their shoes if you wind up dating somebody for a short period of time and then they decide that they can't see you through to the very end. You need to lean on your family and friends right now. If your parting with your ex was at all amicable, I would encourage you to get in touch with your ex. It sounds like you attach a great deal of importance to dying partnered. Not all of us get to die uh, partnered. You know, even if you are partnered... <laughs> And you die first, then your partner dies alone. A lot of us have to, in the end, uh, die alone, which totally sucks. And it doesn't sound like that's what you wanted or that's the life you imagined for yourself. And I'm so sorry. Your call and your predicament are heartbreaking. Again, though, you can't overthink this uh, and you can't think your way to a solution uh, that's going to provide you with what you want or think you deserve. You can only for the next four to six to eight to 12 months before you become revealingly symptomatic, enjoy the time you have and get out there and live what life you have left to live. And if you meet somebody along the way while you're living what remains uh, to you of your life, who wants to sign up to see you through to the end, date that person. And if you don't, lean on your family, lean on your friends, lean on your ex again if it was an amicable parting. And don't assume that there won't be guys out there who don't have it in their heart to date you perhaps and to see you through. I'm reminded 
of the you know the worst days of the AIDS crisis when there were lots of guys in your shoes. There were lots of guys who went to the doctor one day and told were told that they had a year or two maybe tops to live who had full blown AIDS and were symptomatic and there were no treatments. And you hear the horror stories about guys who were dumped by their boyfriends, guys who were thrown out of their apartments, guys who got fired from their jobs. And, and there were horror stories and those sorts of things happened and, and people behaved uh, in terror very badly to some of the sick. But there were also people who dated people who were very sick, uh, who knowingly entered into relationships with guys who were very sick and saw them through and saw them out. Um, and it, Sometimes people did that, stayed with people uh, who were dying despite the fact that they knew that if this person was going to live 10, 20, 40, 50 years, that this wasn't the right person for them. But for the short term, that they could love and care for this person and be there for this person and be intimate with this person and see them through. Uh, and that's really the best I can do for you. Um, and I'm really sorry. And I tried to get you on the phone so we could talk personally. So get out there, get out there in the scene, go out with your friends, uh, enjoy the time you have. And if you handle any interactions that you might have with guys that you might meet who are attracted to you with as much thoughtfulness and grace as you displayed in your call to us, I think you very well might wind up meeting someone and not dying unpartnered. But you still might die unpartnered. All of us might die. Even the partnered, many of us will die alone. Um, and there are far worse fates than dying alone. And again, I'm so sorry. And I'm sure everyone listening is so sorry uh, for what you're facing right now. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is Pete from upstate New York. I'm just listening through a podcast from uh, two or three podcasts ago. Uh, you gave uh, a girl called asking for advice about um, she was in a S&M situation the first time she freaked out. Um, you gave some great advice. I just wanted to add one thing. Um, possibly a yellow light safe word. Um, sometimes I'm new to and sometimes in our experience um, rather than a, a stop word, a you know, a word that says, hey, slow down, don't do that, but I don't want to stop overall. Um, knowing that that word is there also is a, uh, it's a comfort, and, um, you know, we, we found that that helps a lot in not stopping a scene, but in making things happen in a, in a more progressive way, especially being, you know, that she said her boundaries were um, not definite. She didn't know her own boundaries yet, as she, asked, she said in the question, so um, thought that might be helpful. Hey, Dan, I just wanted to call and, uh, first of all, tell you what a great job you're doing. I love your podcast. I listen every week. Um, and secondly, I wanted to commend you on, uh, uh, <laughs> disputing the, uh, Canadian woman who called and said you were single-handedly causing North America to abuse alcohol, uh, or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Um, but I just, uh, I, I wanted to call and say, uh, what a load of utter bullshit that is, um, uh, having been uh, married to an alcoholic for uh, 12 years, recovering now. Um, I come from a family with uh, some alcohol abuse in it, uh, immediate family. 
um, I know that uh, nothing causes these people to uh, abuse alcohol besides themselves and uh, whatever demons they're carrying. It's got nothing to do with someone on a podcast telling them to have a couple of drinks. Um, It's just a bunch of crap, and it sounds like the kind of stuff that I hear from recovering alcoholics, people who have a big problem with casual drinking. Um, I could be wrong and way off base on that one, but I uh, just wanted to call and commend you uh, for standing up for yourself in such a reasonable fashion. You're a good man, Dan. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the calls. Thanks for the feedback. We're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to give us a call, leave a callback number in case we want to chat with you. Once again, that number, 206-201-2720. You download us every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day, including the Savage Love Letter of the Day at slog.thestranger.com. And me and the tech savvy at-risk youth will be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.